Good morning. I'm glad that they let my son go out of here because I'm going to tell on him a little bit. We were driving to the church one day here and, and there were some flags lined up out on the road. And, and Caleb said, Daddy, why are those flags flying out there on the road? And I said, well, son, those are to remember the men and women who gave their life to service. The car got very quiet for a long time. And uh, we pulled up outside of the parking lot here and, and he looked at me real quietly and he said, Daddy, which service, the traditional or the modern service? <laughs> Today we are continuing our sermon series on the pattern of the promises of God. Uh, last week, uh, we made a turn as we discussed uh, Moses and, uh, and the Mosaic Covenant. And I like that Mosaic term because uh, I think of the laws, just a lot of, of different pieces. Uh, but really, to capture the essence of it, you have to kind of look at it as a whole. I like that name very much. And this week, we're going to continue to talk about Moses. We will look also, in addition to Moses, at his brother, Aaron. And his Aaron's son, Moses' nephew, Eleazar, and Eleazar's son, Phineas. And we're going to talk today about the priestly covenant, where we will discuss not like the Mosaic law, which was the standard that God sets for us to, uh, to uh, relate not only to God, but to each other. But at this priestly succession, now we're talking about the line, the lineage, uh, and this covenant will lift that up. Aaron, Moses' brother, uh, both of them are from the Levite tribe, the tribe of Levi. And this is one of the tribes of Israel, uh, of course, descended from Levi, who was the son of Jacob. Aaron was considered to be the very first high priest of Israel. Now, this is important to know because the priests played a very, very important Role. They were, first of all, considered kind of the front line in the army of God, right? And, and they, would, they would oversee at the tabernacle the receiving of the tithes and the playing of music. They would also guard the Ark of the Covenant, right? Which was in the tabernacle. It's the place where God dwelt. But one of the most important things that the priests did was that they helped connect the people to God. It's a very, very important task. But today, the promise that we are going to talk about is first and foremost a covenant of peace. But let me share with you, friends, that the way it starts out, it, it doesn't feel like it's quite going to go that way, right? It starts out, in fact, as anything but peaceful out in the desert wilderness. Now, remember, the, the, the people of Israel, they, uh, they received the law, right, in the, Mosaic, in the Mosaic Covenant, but they could not keep it. Remember, their idolatry angered God. And therefore, God denied the Israelites the peace that God had for them. And instead, the Israelites got the privilege of wandering the desert for 40 years. Now... I've been to this place. It's called the Negev. It's in the Holy Land. I'm also in my 40s. And so trust me, I would not choose that place 
to spend my 40 years. <laughs> it's ever been as harsh as, as the biblical text describes it. When I looked out there, I remember seeing some farmers with their sheep and stuff. And I thought, well, what are these sheep eating? It's just nothing but dust and, and rocks. I mean, this place is, is a place that is extremely scarce of resources. So not only are they dealing with the grind of this consequence that they're facing for their action and their idolatry, they are also doing it in an environment very, very scarce of resources. Now, let me tell you, it goes beyond that. Because even to this day, this region still talks about this problem with the resources. A lot of times we think this battle over in Israel is about the land. Let me assure you, that's part of it. But there's something under the land that's even more at stake. And it's water. It's water. And the scarcity of this resource exists today. It also existed back then. And let me tell you, it had the Israelites grumbling. Now, God asked Moses and Aaron to take that infamous staff that Moses uses, right? The one that that he used in the plagues with Pharaoh, that staff that he lifted to part the sea. God says, I want you to go and speak to this rock. And in doing so, God would cause water to come from the rock. This rock would provide them the life-giving drink that they so, so much wanted. And, and, and bless whoever uh, set this little life-giving drink of water up here. Thank you. Instead, Aaron and Moses do something different. They don't speak to the rock. They speak to the children of Israel. They speak at them because of their grumbling. And Moses and Aaron take the staff and they strike the rock. Not only once, but twice. That is not what God instructed them to do. And regardless of why they did it, there's a lot of scholarly debate about why they did it. God would ultimately judge that because Moses and, Aaron's were, dis- and Aaron were disobedient in their carrying out of what God had instructed, they would both die before Israel reached the promised land. Now, We can sense the sadness of the story. I told you, it doesn't feel real hopeful. But Moses and Aaron, they were both going to be denied their entry into the promised land due to their taking of matters into their own hands. Even though God had given them a really clear direction and instruction on what to do. But they did it their way and not God's way. But here comes the grace, because remember, in every single one of these promises, in every single one of these instances of covenant, there is this extension of God's grace. And here it comes. We can trust 
that the grace completes this full circle. We can trust that just as we've seen in these other other covenants and all these other stories we've looked at, that God's going to come through. And here comes with this pattern of succession that we're going to talk about. So if you would, please grab a Bible. Let's open them up to Numbers chapter 20. We're going to start in verses 22 through 29. That's Numbers 20, 22 through 29. They set out from Kadesh and the Israelites, the whole congregation, came to Mount Or. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron at Mount Or, on the border of the land of Edom, Let Aaron be gathered to his people. For he shall not enter the land that I have given to the Israelites because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Take Aaron and his son Eleazar and bring them up Mount Or. Strip Aaron of his vestments and put them on his son Eleazar. But Aaron shall be gathered to his people and shall die there. Moses did as the Lord had commanded. They went up Mount Or in the sight of the whole congregation. Moses stripped Aaron of his vestments and put them on his son Eleazar, and Aaron died there on top of the mountain. Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. When all the congregation saw that Aaron had died, all the house of Israel mourned for Aaron 30 days. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I want you to know that right here in the very beginning of this story, we experience this first extension of God's grace. It's not blaring. It's not loud at us, but it's there. And the first extension and the first presence of God's grace in this is that Aaron is 123 years old when he died. He was the recipient of such a long life. With such great significance, the first high priest. And a life just full of purpose. Moses, too, was like Aaron, his brother. He would die just a little after this. And Moses was 120 when that happens. Now, these two men's lives, they're well extended beyond the norm. I can't even imagine climbing a mountain at 123. (laughs) But they're doing it. So notice the extension of God's grace and the longevity of the lives of these men. And more than the length of Aaron's days is the realization that God called him and blessed him to be about something much bigger than him. Let me explain. Moses and Aaron take Eleazar into their confidence. So you've got the brothers taking the the nephew, the son, into their confidence. Imagine this. The Israelites are seeing something unprecedented. They have never seen anything like this before in their whole entire lives. Very unusual. Aaron, the high priest of the tabernacle, in his priestly garments, right, walks out of the tabernacle. Aaron Aaron would normally stay in the tabernacle. Those clothes would have been reserved for the tabernacle. But Aaron walks away from the tabernacle, 
with Moses on one side and with Eleazar on the other. And, and together, they would go from the foothill where the base camp was of this tabernacle, and they would climb up into the mountain, and then they would disappear. They would be completely out of sight from the entire congregation of Israel. But let me assure you, they were not out of mind. Now I want you to think about Eleazar. Let's put ourselves in Eleazar's shoes. Eleazar. This is one of the people that God had called to be responsible for the Old Testament tabernacle. This was the centralized place of worship for the congregation, for the community. It would have moved wherever they went. And Eleazar, he would have been put in charge as as Aaron's son. He would have been put in charge of carrying the the lampstand, the sweet incense from the altar, the daily grain offering, the anointing oil. He would have also been responsible for the carriage of the things that were inside the tabernacle. And listen, you had to carry these things right because God gave very specific instructions. So the transport of the Ark of the Covenant, of the table of showbread, of the golden uh, lampstand, all of those things were taken care of and transported by the Levites. But Eleazar here has a frightening, frightening assignment. Eleazar must have had great sorrow in his heart for his father, who was very old, who he had worked with for many years, his entire life, as long as he could remember, his father, who was always with him. Eleazar would have had to, he would have had to look right into the eyes of Moses. Moses, who would have been equally concerned. Moses, who had spent his entire 120 years next to Aaron, his brother. There was never a time when these two brothers weren't together. I mean, they had spent more than 100 years together. I don't want to spend more than 100 minutes with mine. (laughs) But 100 years through all the suffering. Remember all those plagues that were put on Egypt? They had gone through all that together. Remember that mean guy, Pharaoh? They had endured all of that. Then there was the sea. Remember the parting of the Red Sea? When God gave them the victory through the, the, the Red Sea and then the waves came crashing down onto their enemy? They had done all that together. And then if that weren't enough, they spent almost 40 years by this time with bellyaching Israelites. (laughs) Eleazar would look into the eyes of Aaron and know that Aaron saw the end of his days. Know that Aaron saw his limitations. But here comes the grace. (laughs) Aaron looks back at Eleazar and sees that in Eleazar... God's work is going to be continued. Now, my friend who leads worship down in in the modern area, we've grown up together. I don't remember a time when Dee Dee Jones wasn't around, right? And she tells me about my son, Caleb, who I spoke of earlier this morning. It is so weird to see him running around here because he looks just like you when we were kids. (laughs) And, And, you know, I've sung Christian music and hung around the church a lot of my life. And now I'm seeing Caleb 
start to sing and start to worship God. He's in kids sing here. He's doing these things. And although I'm in my forties, I'm watching this little one who has this whole life before him. And I'm seeing that God's continual grace is coming. And it's the same grace that's being extended right here in this story. So in this second instant of God's grace abounding, Aaron sees the work that God had called him to and that God would be extending this work through his son. So Aaron knew that he would be passing the mantle onto him. Aaron looked into the sun, into the son's eyes, Eleazar, and he would know that he would inherit the very important role of high priest. And that in doing so, that Eleazar would receive God's protection and receive the fresh new mercies that God would have for him every day of his life. God continues the high office of this priest to display that God is caring for all the children of Israel. God continues the high office of the high priest so that Israel would remember, hey, you need forgiveness for your sin. God continues the office of the high priest to remind them that it was God's forgiveness that they needed and that there was a succession of God's grace and a succession of the priestly role and that it didn't stop with Aaron and that it didn't stop with Eleazar. Now here's the good news. Eleazar would have a son too, Phineas, Aaron's grandson. <laughs> to give the people a sense of this, this, uh, this succession of, of priestly offices, uh, uh, Eleazar would stay in that role for 20 years. And then Eleazar's son, Phineas, would take over. Let's pick it up in Numbers 25. I'm going to be reading in verse 10 through 13. Here's what God speaks to Moses about Phineas, Eleazar's son. Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has stopped my anger against the people of Israel. You see, not much changed about Israel. <laughs> because he was as zealous for my honor as I myself am. I didn't kill all the people of Israel in my zeal. So tell him that I am making a covenant of peace with him. He and his, and his descendants, catch that, and his descendants are joined in a covenant of eternal priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. Isn't that kind of an unusual statement? Because he was zealous for my honor as I am, I myself am, my promise of peace is given to him and the descendants joined in this eternal priesthood. <laughs> wow. You know, the, the way that God talks about Phineas here, about being zealous about God's honor, reminds me of this song. <laughs> A song that you may know, you may have heard, it's called One Pure and Holy Passion. And it's the same passion that Phineas possesses. Let me read you the lyrics. 
Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. I'll read it again. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life to know and follow hard after you. To know and follow hard after you. To grow as your disciple in the truth. The world is empty, pale, and poor compared to knowing you, my Lord. Lead me on and I will run after you. Lead me on and I will run after you. Lead me on and I will run after you. And you know what, friends? No one, not a single other person had the passion for God and for us that Jesus Christ did. Amen. And all this world, all of this stuff that happened, it would lead Israel to their recognition of the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the high priest with the capital H and the capital P. Jesus became the high priest. But you see, this time, the high priest was different than the others. Because he was the total fulfillment of the redemption that God had played out on the stage that God set back in that Noah story. He was the catalyst of the seed of Abraham and Sarah that would reach the world and reconcile it to God. And he was the perfect fulfillment of the law, the standard that was set in the Mosaic Covenant. He was the only one fully human, only one fully divine high priest whose body would be turned to dust on the cross. But who overcomes the grave in the great Easter story that we're about to celebrate. That's succession. That's success. Because Jesus Christ is the continuation of God's perfect and sufficient grace. And of God's continuing care for God's family. And that continuation, friends, it very much involves us. His raised body in heaven at the right hand of God. His church, the one that he loves. And the one that he formed. And the one who is very much alive. Stan shared about it this morning. He's proud because that's what God is doing. That's what God's church is doing. Here we are co-laboring with God to transform the world. In the church, you and me, gosh, we know about God's succession of grace, don't we? We know that we're the recipients of God's grace. And that our job now is to live into a pure and holy passion for God. Now, I didn't want to leave here my first time preaching with you. 
without sharing a little bit of that song. Because this is the extension of God's grace. It's all about it. Give me one magnificent obsession. Give me one glorious ambition for my life. To know and follow hard after you. Give me one pure and holy passion. Give me one magnificent obsession. Jesus, one, one glorious ambition for my life. To know and follow hard after you. To know and follow hard after you. Oh, to grow your disciple in the truth oh this world is pale and poor compared to knowing you my lord lead me on and i will run after you to know and follow hard after you Grow as your disciple in the truth. The world is pale and poor compared to knowing you, my Lord. Lead me on and I will run after you. Oh, lead me on and I will run after you, Jesus. Lead me on. I will run after you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.